invite you to stand with us if you delight to worship the Lord. And please stand and let's sing and praise not only our Savior, but our King together this morning. Shifting shadows of the earth, we will lift our eyes to Him. Where steady arms of mercy reach to gather children in. struggling in the fight for his perfect love will never change and his mercies never cease but follow us through all our days with the certain hope of peace rejoice rejoice let every tongue rejoice one heart of Christ rejoice. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. Come young and old from every land, men and women of the faith. Come those with full or empty hands, find the riches of His grace. Over all the world His people sing, shore to shore we hear them call. The truth that Christ through every age, our God is all in all. to Newcastle Bible Church. Today is Scout Sunday, so I would like to extend a special welcome to Scouts, families, and any visitors to Newcastle this morning. My name is Josie Salmon. I am the After School Program Director here at Newcastle Bible Church. My husband, AJ, and I also have the opportunity to work with Rooted Student Ministries. 
If you are new, please take a moment to stop by our welcome desk. We'll have a special gift for you, as well as any information that you might find helpful about Newcastle. Everyone, please take a moment to fill out our check-in card, or even easier, you can use our app, as it only takes a few moments to fill out, just a couple of clicks of the button. Again, welcome, and we are so glad you're here with us this morning. I second that. We are glad that each and every one of you is here with us this morning to worship our Lord together. And we do want to extend a special welcome to all the Scout representatives here this morning, because I know a lot of you don't even probably come here, and yet you are bold enough, and I want to uh, commend you for your boldness in being here, and well, and they're serving. They're serving and holding the doors open, welcoming people, helping with the ushers and stuff, and even many of the Scouts uh, families that come here uh, to use our buildings come to our church work day to help us do work around the church. So we're really thankful for you guys. We're really glad that you guys uh, use uh, the buildings here uh, to do all the different scout meetings and activities you guys have. So we're really thankful for you and glad that you're with us. Um, <clears throat> I want to remind you all of something you already probably know and have walked past is that today is the great mission bake. And so at either one of our main entrances, there's a lot of yum bake, yummy baked goods going on out there. And Jesus teaches us that uh, we need to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. So one of your crosses that you need to bear today is to go and buy some yummy baked goods. It's not good for you, but it's, uh, it's got a good eternal purpose when you give money to them because the money is going towards our global outreach partners in Nigeria to minister there in Grace Gardens where they serve people who have been trafficked and abused and minister the gospel to them. So what a tremendous ministry and encourage you to check that out at the end of the service. Don't go now. Wait. Wait. It's, I know it's tempting. The other thing we want to recommend to you is the resource of the month. So once a month we like to select a certain resource that we think would be really beneficial to you all and make it available to you at no cost. And so at the end of this service, if you're interested in this, this is David Pollison's book, Seeing with New Eyes, Counseling in the Human Condition Through the Lens of Scripture. If you're interested in this book, it is just outside those double doors at our resource center. There's a table, hopefully full of them. Hopefully the first service people didn't steal them all. Um, If they did, do not fret. We will get some more. Uh, But just come and tell uh, Chad Lehman. Uh, Don't tell me. No, I'm just kidding. You can come tell me. Um, But why would you want this book? Well, this is a little bit thicker than the books we usually recommend. And the reading of it is a little denser, too, I would say. But it is chock full of good stuff. So I would recommend this to two people, two types of people. I'd recommend it to those who are really interested and invested in learning more and growing in biblical counseling. This is a book full of individual articles from a biblical counseling journal that I don't believe no longer exists. Um, But just some really great ways to continue growing in your understanding and application of biblical counseling principles. But if you are someone who's not interested in growing in biblical counseling, but you're a Christian, and you know that the Bible tells you you need to uh, be prepared to counsel uh, one another anyways, um, and you want to grow in your ability to apply Scripture in your own life and in the lives of others, you know, for example, somebody comes to you and says, man, I'm just really struggling about being anxious with this thing at work going on. This book has a chapter that walks you through Luke chapter 12, and how to help somebody and yourself, if you struggle with it, work through the problem of anxiety. There's also another really good chapter that's just about x-ray questions that helps you analyze any issue you're going on 
going on in your life through the lens of Scripture. Helps you get to the heart of the matter in your own life or help you get to the, the matter of somebody, uh, an issue in someone else's life. So just a great tool. I would treat it more like a reference tool than a sit down and I'm just going to read chapter from beginning to the end. It, 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 that, it's a little dense for that. But a great reference tool for really anybody. So strongly recommend, highly recommend that you pick that up at the end of the service. Well, before we continue on singing together, would you please bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Jesus, I pray that uh, the song we just sang uh, would really um, stir our hearts and remind ourselves of what it is we're here to do. We are here to delight in bringing you praise. We're here to celebrate who you are. We're here to celebrate together what you have done in our lives. That even though you are the creator and that we are the created, even though we rebelled against you, you saved us from our sin. You cleansed us. You have um, made us your sons and daughters in your kingdom. Even though we used to be rebels, even though we used to be dead in our sins, you extended us your great kindness, your grace that we did not deserve. And that's why we want to celebrate. We all come from different walks of life. We all got different things going on in our lives. We all have different backgrounds. But the common denominator for each and every one of us is that we were once blind, and now we can see. We were once dead, and now we are alive. And for that, you deserve and are worthy of all the praise. You are the reigning king who is sovereign over all things, in control of all things, every detail, every atom, every electron and proton in the universe, every star in the heavens. You have it all in your control. We rest in that. We celebrate your great power that you have, for you are the only one true worthy king. We ask that you be honored this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able, would you please stand with us as we do what Psalm 103, verses 1 through 2, tells us. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. May we not forget the tremendous amount of benefits we have seen and experienced in our own lives as we praise the Lord together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, it's time to sing your song again, whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes, bless the Sing like never 
morning, Newcastle. How amazing is that grace, huh? That's a sweet sound. That's a sweet sound. Thank you, worship team, for making it even sweeter. And uh, thanks, Newcastle. We uh, want to allow the children ages three through kindergarten to go to uh, Children's Church this morning. If you just go out the back door here and head south and up the stairs, those kiddos will get a age-appropriate gospel message. And as they do that, would you pray with me, Newcastle? Let's pray. Well, my Lord, your grace is amazing. It's a sweet sound to our hearts today because it's by that grace we are saved. We're saved from the penalty of our sin. For we were a wretch. We were lost. We were blind. We were dead in our sins. You offer this amazing grace. It's a gift from you, not by works, so that none of us can boast. My Lord, like Paul, may we never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that cross where you bore our sins. And that's what we think about today. It's why we're here. It's why we worship this morning. It's where we see mostly your amazing grace. And Lord, as we need your grace in the day we first believed, we also need it today. So help us to embrace that grace let it so enamor our hearts, our mind, our soul, our strength, that it trains us, as it says in Titus, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, Lord, by your amazing gift of grace, as it says in Ephesians 2, we are your workmanship, created for good works, to prepare beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Lord, I wonder what grace training you might do in us here today. What might that look like? And I wonder what good works you prepared for us today, as well as the days ahead. So, Lord, let us help us be instruments of your amazing grace in those good works you prepared for us. And find us being those instruments of grace here at Newcastle, as well as to a lost world that so needs to know you, our great God of amazing grace. And Lord Calvary Baptist Bible Church, we've been praying for this week as our church partner. We pray for Pastor Gear and his team as they proclaim your amazing grace to the folks in Peoria right now. And as they do, I pray hearts would be open that 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 hearts would receive by faith your amazing gift of grace. And for those who have been changed already by your grace, that they would continue to change and live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in the present age. Those lives would be light to your amazing grace in the heart of Peoria. And then as our co-partner for prayer this week, I thank you for this faithful Newcastle Bible Church that continues to send me, pray for me, encourage me in FCA ministry. They keep me going, Lord, going to the students and coaches on the campuses, the greater Peoria area. Thank you. And thank you for the blessing of some 
faithful FCA student leaders all over the area here proclaim your amazing grace to their fellow students in their campus huddles. And, and we pray for two new huddles that are looking like they're going to be opening here in the next few weeks. Lord, provide wisdom there as new coaches and student leaders also desire to proclaim your amazing grace on their campuses. And thank you for bringing coaches to our Bible studies and grace training them with iron sharpening discussions around your word and how it equips them for those good works they were created for in advance in the teaching and coaching world they live in and beyond. And we pray for some of those coaches and their families who have been in season now for about three months. And uh, those winter coaches, uh, give them perseverance and godly, godly influence as they finish their seasons well in this month ahead. So now, Lord, as we continue here to worship you, our great God of amazing grace, train us, change us, transform us today by that grace. And we'll give you all the glory in the name of our Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand with us as we sing a song that causes us to reflect on the glory and beauty of Jesus.
and peace to you today. It's good to have you in our presence. So extend that blessing from the Lord. Glad you're here today. We are going to be beginning a new study in the book of Philippians. It's a study called Indestructible Joy. Um, My title for today's message is Joy in the Jailhouse. But overall, it's going to be about this indestructible joy. Now, you may be asking yourself the question, why Philippians? What's, what does that letter have to do with anything in my life? You probably have heard or seen those commercials on TV where somebody will come on and start asking questions. Have you experienced any symptoms of dizziness? Do you have uh, shortness of breath? Uh, do you have difficulty performing normal household tasks? Do your children drive you crazy? If so, then a prescription of Zoomf may be just right for you. So I'd like to help you think first, is Philippians right for me? So we've got some questions for you. They're also in your your bulletin handout there. And all you have to do is just say yes or no to these questions. So let's work through those first. First, are you struggling with changes in your church? Does it seem different than the church you grew up in? Number two, do you struggle to maintain joy and happiness in your life? Do you need a joy infusion? Number three, Are you experiencing any conflict with people in the church? Number four, do you struggle with the death of a loved one? On one hand, wishing they were uh, here with you, and on the other hand, thankful that they're with the Lord. Number five, do you ever lose perspective on what is temporary compared to the things that are eternal? Number six, do you ever struggle with selfishness? and wishing that other people would serve you? Number seven, do you face any tensions in your job or in society in being in the world but not of the world? Number eight, are you concerned about becoming useless in God's kingdom? Are you worried that maybe God is done with you and has moved on to other people? And then number nine, do you experience any difficulty in feeling connected to others in the church? Does it seem like you're lost in it, unable to get to know others? So, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, then Philippians is right for you. So I would prescribe you a good dose of Philippians. Not a simple read through the book, but a really diving into it, a really laying hold of those promises and reminders of God's grace and faithfulness. So we are going to work together as a church uh, throughout the book of uh, Philippians right here. So we'll turn in your Bibles if, um, if you have one. If you don't, our scouts are ready and willing to serve you. Just raise your hand. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and the scouts will gladly give you one. 
So while you're turning there, you might be wondering, what's Acts 16 have to do with Philippians? Well, Acts 16 describes the founding of this church in Philippi. Now, just to be clear, we're not talking about the Philippine Islands. We're talking about the Philippians. So completely different part of the world right here. The Philippians, uh, Philippi is in what's known as our present day Europe. So this is present day Europe. Um, so in AD 51, the Apostle Paul, as we're going to read about, has this vision to leave what's, our, what's known as our modern day Asia to go to Europe. Now, Paul, if you remember, was formerly known as Saul. He was saved on the Damascus Road by God, converted as he was persecuting Christians. And now on this second missionary journey, he's going to stop at this important Roman city called Philippi. And a young man by the name of Timothy is with him. And he's going to make some good relationships in this church that are going to be important as we study through Philippians. So some women that he connects with, including Lydia, a man of later importance in the church known as Clement, and a few others. His time here was no pleasure cruise. He gets thrown in prison. But the gospel takes hold here. In fact, even Paul's jailer comes to faith in Christ. Now, after Paul was released from jail at Philippi, uh, he left Luke in charge. He leaves Philippi, leaves Luke in charge. Um, the Philippians offer Paul some material and financial support, which was very useful to Paul, uh, especially during his time in Corinth. About a year later, Paul is going to embark on his third missionary journey, and he wants to raise money for the church back in Jerusalem to help those believers in Jerusalem and Judea, Jewish Christians. So he's going to go to the Gentile Christians uh, to ask for financial assistance. But he wasn't going to um, ask the Philippians because they had already been so generous in helping him. But the Philippians, bless their heart, insisted on helping out. So in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5, Paul describes this radical generosity that the Philippians had. Um, so Paul goes uh, back to Jerusalem with this money that he's collected. When he gets back to Jerusalem, his opponents arrest him. So he's in trouble there. Um, the Philippians heard about his imprisonment. Uh, Paul appeals to Caesar. He's shipped off to Rome. The Philippians hear about this, and they want to offer further assistance but they've got some challenges. It's not all roses and sunshine here in Philippi. Uh, church members were worried about job security, their own personal finances. There's these Jewish opponents who, have, who are battling Paul at every turn are trying to make inroads into the church in Philippi, teaching that it's Jesus plus works that are necessary for salvation. And as a result, this church in Philippi begins to struggle. So church members were disagreeing with one another. There was a lot of distrust. People were selfishly serving their own interests, putting them ahead of others. Even church leadership faced division. So they weren't in great spiritual health. So the Philippians wanted to get some assistance from Paul, who had founded the church. So they send a man by the name of Epaphroditus, you'll read about him later in Philippians, to go to Rome and to bring back Timothy, because they knew Timothy. Timothy's a great guy. Let's bring back Timothy to help us. Well, on the way to Rome to get Timothy, Epaphroditus becomes very ill, and it delays him. So when he finally does get to Rome, he finds that Paul has been in prison for over a year. And Paul is really struggling here in prison. Uh, Paul needs Timothy. All of Paul's closest people have deserted him, so he's really alone. So Timothy is really essential for Paul. 
So Paul says, I can't send you Timothy. He's concerned that when he sends Epaphroditus back, that the Philippians are not going to like that. What do you mean sending the backup guy? Come on, help us out here. So Paul faces this dilemma, a lot of challenges. He wants to, fa- he wants to thank them for their sacrificial giving because they're, they raised money to send to Rome to help him in prison. So Paul is so thankful for that. But he also needs to rebuke them for their selfishness and division. He wants to be honest about his own struggles. It's not easy here, but he doesn't want to discourage them as they are struggling too. So how is Paul going to navigate all of that into this letter to the Philippians? Well, thankfully, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was able to do this. And this letter to the Philippians has been a great source of joy and delight and strength to Christians for thousands of years. And I pray that it's the same for you as well. I hope that it challenges you. I hope it motivates you to serve selflessly in humility, to give sacrificially, to unite instead of divide, to suffer well for the sake of the gospel. And I hope it encourages and brings joy to your heart. So that is the context that we find ourselves in in Acts chapter 16. If you have your Bibles now, if you would be able to stand, we'll be reading starting in verse 6. Not the whole chapter, but part of it here. So uh, Acts 16, starting in verse 6. And they went through the region of Figra and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samaras, and the following day to Nepalus, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today as Lydia did, requesting that you will open our hearts. We know that apart from you opening our hearts, Lord, we cannot hear your word. We cannot receive it. Open our hearts, we pray. Give us understanding as we dive into this beautiful gospel in Philippians, as we see this joy that we can hardly describe that sustains us through these jail times. Lord, let it challenge us. Let it remind us of Jesus who came as a servant. So I pray that we can all be blessed by Philippians, corrected where needed and encouraged by where needed. In your name we pray, amen. So feel free to turn as well in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. We'll be referencing those as we go throughout this. My, my hope today, my aim today is to present more of an overview of Philippians, where we're going with this. 
So some of the background and the history, but then some of the key themes that you'll experience along this journey. Uh, one thing I do know that Philippians um, certainly is a book about jail ministry. And speaking for myself, uh, I'm not that familiar with it. My experience with jail ministry has been more like leader of the prison singers, behind a few bars, always looking for the right key. But Paul's ministry, this prison ministry, is far deeper. He's really in the thick of it. I mean, he's facing so much in this prison here. And the fact that he can write this letter with a heart full of joy communicates a lot. So what are you going to see in Philippians? Well, I'm just going to, again, introduce some key themes, and then we're going to work through these. Um, you're going to see in Philippians the selfless servanthood of Jesus, who empowers and encourages us to joyfully serve others. You're going to learn about the persistent pursuit of Jesus and his people for Christ's likeness. You're going to understand the danger of deviating from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to find the partnership of proclaiming Jesus Christ that we as Christians enjoy. And you're going to see the suffering of the saints that we should not be surprised by. Now, given those themes and probably some more that you'll see throughout Philippians, could we say that there's a main point? It's, it's sort of challenging to combine all of those themes into a main point, but I've given it uh, my shot anyways. Not perfect, but here's my take at it. So I think the main point of this letter is that we are called and empowered to live as humble, joy-filled citizens of a heavenly kingdom, behaving in a manner worthy of the gospel, demonstrated through our selfless service, unity, and Christ-like mind, and manifested in our proclamation of the glorious news of a joy-filled God. Now that's quite a mouthful, but I'm encouraged by the fact that Paul writes sentences that are like 150 words, so my word count is way less than that. We're going to break this down today, navigating through that main point right there to help you understand that. So again, the theme of our series is indestructible joy, and that's what we see with Paul. Paul is wanting the Philippians to rejoice with him, even when he's not there in person. He's wanting to express thanks for them. But he also wants them to rejoice when he's not there, trusting in God's promises and faithfulness. So let's break this down. The first part, we are called and empowered to live as humble, joy-filled citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Okay, so that, that first part speaks to the theme of belonging and humility. Belonging and humility. So we live in a world where people wonder who they are. We live in a a world where people are seeking to belong somewhere. And a lot of people don't feel like they fit in. On the other hand, many people define themselves by their job, by their role, or what they have accomplished in life. Well, Philippians is a letter that speaks practically and clearly to the challenges of our identity. First, we're empowered by God to live as citizens of his kingdom. Christians are called and empowered by God to live as citizens of a remarkable kingdom. Now, notice it's God's work, not our work, that makes us citizens of this kingdom. So if you're in chapter 1, verse 1, there in Philippians, Paul, after identifying himself with Timothy, servants of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. So Paul's introduction is one of a bondservant, one of a servant, one of a slave. 
He calls the Philippians saints. Now, in Paul's normal greeting, he would refer to himself as an apostle. That's common throughout the majority of Paul's letters. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Only here in Philippians and in Romans and in Titus does Paul identify himself as a servant. This is not the normal household servant he's referring to, but rather a slave. And again, this is the only position that Paul and Timothy claim for, claim for themselves here, is one of a slave. Now, again, nowhere in Philippians does Paul mention his apostleship. He certainly could have. It wasn't wrong to do this to remind him of the fact that, hey, remember guys, I'm an apostle here. But what he wants to emphasize is his role as a servant, a slave. We live in a world where virtually no one would identify themselves as a servant, much less a slave. Most of us want to be known as someone significant. Paul's reputation, as we've said, is well known in the church here. He could have easily reminded them of who he was, what he had accomplished, but he doesn't. He is fine with identifying himself as a slave. As leader of this church, Paul demonstrates humility through the title of a servant. He's not the CEO of the church. He's a servant. He then applies a title to the Philippians. He doesn't call them servants. He actually calls them saints. So notice he doesn't just say, greetings, fellow Philippians. He identifies them as saints to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, this word saint is often misunderstood. Many people think of saint as something you have to qualify for. If I'm good enough spiritually, maybe I could work my way up to being a saint. Or some people think of it as something that you earn, the spiritually elite, the best of the best. But that's not true. You don't qualify for sainthood. It's God who qualifies us. So God took us out of the kingdom of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of light, set us apart for his service, and now calls us saints. So look at what, look at what Paul does here. He refers to himself as, and Timothy as slaves or servants. The other spiritual leaders here, the overseers and the deacons, overseers we would, we would mean by elders and, and the deacons there, um, and so Philippians challenges us in a lot of ways to put others ahead of ourselves. And Paul puts this into action, even in the way he writes. He doesn't pick sides. He honors the leaders here at Philippi, but he includes every member in the church just the same. There's no spiritual favorites with Paul. There shouldn't be with us either. So Paul identifies these overseers and deacons in his greeting to the church. He includes them with the church. These leaders do have responsibility. They do have oversight, as their titles communicate. But at the same time, they're part of the church. They serve the church. So Paul is writing Philippians in part to warn leaders against pride. Now, remembering that we are saints help, helps us navigate this world in which people find their identity in things that we do or things that we accomplish. Remember, God calls you saints if you belong to him. It's God's work that sets you apart for the purpose of living for him. This description that we are saints reminds us that we are united together by God's choosing. We don't come on someone's side. No, God chooses us. God brings us into this family and puts us all on the same side. So this church here in Philippi was really marked by this 
battle to pick sides. Whose side are you going to be on? You'll see that in chapter 4. This woman's side or that woman's side? The fact that Paul identifies them all as saints reminds us that it's not about being on someone's side. We're all on God's side here. So God calls us saints, but he also empowers us. He also enables us to live as a saint. So more than any other letter, Philippians emphasizes our complete dependence on God in order for us to act and to live in the way that God wants. So, for example, in 1.6, Paul mentions it's God who began this good work within them. In 1.19, he speaks of God's Christ spirit, which is helping him in his deliverance. In 3.12, he can press on. Why? Because Jesus has made him his own. In 4.13, Paul can do all things through who? Through God who strengthens him. And in 4.19, it's God who will supply his every need. So we definitely need this reminder that the only way we can live as humble, joy-filled citizens of this heavenly kingdom is by God's power. And I don't think it's that we don't know that we're supposed to do that. The question we wrestle with is, how do we do that? It's Philippians that supplies the answer, by God's power. Philippians also speaks to the theme of citizenship. Citizenship. So it speaks to our identity as saints, but also as citizens of God's kingdom. And this is a significant theme throughout the letter. In 320, Paul reminds the Philippians that they're citizens of a different kind of kingdom. So Philippi, the city in which this church was in, was governed as if it were Rome. So Philippi was a Roman colony, although it was a great distance from Rome, they operated as if it were Rome. So it was a privilege to be a citizen at Philippi. So we moved here from a, a small city known as Little Mexico. And in this city, there was a large Hispanic population and they operated really in a lot of ways connected back to their homeland. The food, the culture, the language, the entertainment, all kinds of things. Now, were they back in their homeland? No, they lived thousands of miles from their homeland. But they had this little culture, this little city within uh, another city, so to speak. The same is true for us. The fact that our citizenship is in heaven helps to explain the tension that we feel here on earth. Do you ever feel that tension? You're not comfortable. Something seems just a little bit out of place, a little hard to navigate. Feel like we maybe belong somewhere else. Well, it's because we do, right? We're citizens of heaven. And you've probably been somewhere in your life where you felt a little bit out of place. Maybe you get invited over to someone's house or a fancy restaurant and they bring out 10 plates and 10 forks and, and 10 knives and you're thinking, I only eat with my fingers at home. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all 10 of these. It's kind of the out of place feeling we experience, right? That's natural for us, or it should be natural for us as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. You see, we have a different allegiance. We as believers are not first and foremost subject to Washington, D.C. and the laws of this country. We are first and foremost subject to Jesus Christ, to God and his gospel. Our allegiance is to Christ, not to Caesar. Yes, we must live peaceably by the laws of this country, but where they bring us into conflict with the Lord, we must put our allegiance to Jesus above our allegiance to our country or any political party. Philippians also speaks to the theme of joy. And I, I look at joy as the thread that weaves all of these different themes together. 
So you're going to learn a lot about joy throughout this letter. So we're not just any kind of citizens of this heavenly kingdom. We are joy-filled citizens. Some of you here today may be in need of a joy infusion. And I wish we had our, our safety team, our ushers, that, that were bringing around some shots or some pills of joy. Uh, but it doesn't quite work like that, right? But this gospel, this letter is about how we can grow in our joy. So Paul weaves this theme of joy in every step of the way along the letter. There's joy in servanthood. There's joy in spiritual growth. There's joy in partnering with others to proclaim, the, to proclaim Jesus. There's even joy in suffering that we experience. Now, given that joy is a major theme, a major thread, it would be helpful to explain what it is and why Paul wants us to have it. Throughout this letter to the Philippians, Paul emphasizes joy, like I've already said. In fact, he mentions it somewhere around 16 times. Uh, the total um, of, of everything that Paul says about joy throughout the whole New Testament, about 30% of it is found right here in this letter. So does Paul think joy is important? Seems to me that way. So what is joy and why is it so important? Well, joy matters to Paul because God is a joyful God. God is a joyful God. We'll address this at the end, so I won't go into a lot of that right now, but, but just remember that God is a very joyful God. What is joy? I like this definition. Joy means the experience of gladness. Joy is the feeling of great delight and happiness. We could say this, joy, happiness, those are satisfaction and delight in God. Satisfying, being satisfied and, del and delighting in God is the essence of joy. Maybe you remember the acronym, maybe you used it growing up, joy, Jesus, others, yourself, and you know what happens if you get that backwards. Yourself, others, Jesus, it does not lead to joy. Now, I'm not going to make a, a sharp technical difference between joy and happiness. Um, I'm not trying to go uh, too deep in the weeds right here to delve that out. I think that the point being, um, however you want to understand that and frame that, is that God is a joyful God. God is a happy God who wants us to know what true joy is and what true happiness is. The tension that we face is that while we feel a certain thing, we don't feel happy all of the time. We may not feel joyful all of the time. At the same time, we have the truths about God and His Word and His promises that help us counterbalance those feelings. So how do we really navigate all that, um, not feeling a certain way, but yet believing these truths? So that tension is exactly what Paul is helping the Philippians navigate through. So again, Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. Prisons in the ancient world were not places of reform. They were not meant to change people. They were meant to kill people. Okay, so this was not a good place to be, to be in. And Paul really is addressing those same questions that we have. Can I really be happy if I don't feel happy? Can I really have joy in a jail cell? Can I really have joy if my suffering never goes away? The answer to all of those questions is yes. Yes, you can. Why? Because it's, because it's God who enables us to be happier, to be joyful through His supernatural resources. We see that in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. It's Jesus inside of us who produces happiness. The problem that we face is not necessarily that happiness is bad or less holy than joy. 
The problem that is that we are looking for joy or happiness in the wrong things. Bad things, of course, will never make us happy. They'll never make us joyful. But neither will good things if we put them ahead of God. Your family, your job, your possessions, your vacations, your recreation, your entertainment, those aren't necessarily bad things. But if we allow them to dethrone God, then they will steal our joy. So I know many people who have made something other than God their world. And when it crashes, their world falls apart. So Philippians is a letter that reminds us that we must have our happiness and joy in the right place. That's how Paul made it through prison. Why? Because his happiness was from and in Christ, not in himself or his circumstances. The more we delight in God, the more we will have happiness and joy in the things that we face. It's God who enables us to be happy and joyful. After all, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul knows, though, that we have a role to play in our happiness and joy. Again, as much as I wish as we could pass out shots or pills that would pump your joy up, uh, it doesn't work that way. But at the same time, we can impact our happiness through our thinking, through our meditating on God's Word, through the confession of our sin, through our repentance, through granting forgiveness, and through having the right expectations. All of these things can grow our level of joy. So why is it important that we live as joy-filled citizens of this heavenly kingdom? Well, we send a message about God and the kind of kingdom that we live in if we're not joyful. Have you ever seen that, that person, that Christian, who looks as if uh, they've just been sucking on Sour Patch things uh, or lemons for their whole life? Not a very joyful person, right? Not the kind of person that you would want to go up to and say, hey, it looks like your Christian life is so rich and filled with this delight in God. Tell me about that. I want to have that same thing. No. It sends the message as if serving God is a drag. Serving God is really boring. There's no fun there. Go out in the world and have fun there. So, living, uh, so, so joy is so important to Paul because it sends a message about God. God is a joy-filled God who desires His people are filled with joy as well. Now, this isn't a, a, wish, a wishful or positive thinking, don't worry, just be happy kind of a thing. No, what we're going to find in Philippians is that God is going to provide this settled happiness, this joy, because He is our refuge and strength. Now, what stands out about Paul in regards to joy is how often he expresses it for the sake of other people. What stands out with Paul is how he labors for the sake of the joy of other people. Listen to what he says in chapter 1, verse 24. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. In chapter 4, Paul just continues to gush out his joy for these believers right there. It's just overflowing. Even outside of Philippians, 2 Corinthians 1, 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. So what do we ask pastors and elders to work for? Your joy. Godly leadership seeks to maximize the joy of others. It's hard to want to participate and serve when your joy level is empty. I believe it's important for you to hear that we view you with joy. It's okay if I tell you that today. We view you with joy. 
speaking collectively here, yes, we view you with joy, not as a problem to face or as a project to solve, but with joy. So church, I'm filled with joy when I see your faith in Jesus. I'm filled with joy as I see a church filled with believers singing praises to God every week. I'm filled with joy as I see seeing you minister by sending cards and flowers and letters to people. I'm filled with joy when I see the, the after-school program and all the ways that you care about those students. I'm filled with joy when I see the smiling faces at the Welcome Center and at the doors. I'm filled with joy when I see the Joy Club and the volunteers serving people. I'm filled with joy when I see the Rooted Ministry students speaking about learning of the hypostatic union and these deep truths of Scripture. I'm filled with joy when I see the Bible studies and the life groups that are happening. I'm filled with joy when I see you cleaning the church and taking care of the facilities. I'm filled with joy when I see your sacrificial giving that allows us to minister beyond this community. I'm filled with joy when we get those requests. How can I help? How can I serve? I'm filled with joy to see how you minister in the nursery and the children's classes and all of those things behind the scenes. Yes, we are filled with joy for you. But know this, we are not filled with joy just because you do things. Um, yes, that does bring us joy, no question about that, but I'm filled with joy for you because the God of joy fills you and then manifests himself through you. So when I look at your lives and see that testimony of God working within you, it brings me great joy. So know that, church, that you bring us great joy. Now, we must be aware of the sin that so easily steals our joy. Working to increase your joy does not mean that we minimize or pretend like sin doesn't exist. But even when those tough conversations are necessary, working to increase your joy means that you aren't dreading phone calls. Oh, no, Pastor Josh is calling me today. Uh, tell him I'm, I'm changing my guitar strings. I'll, I'll get back to him next month. That's not what we want. No, we want, we want to see this joy in having those conversations and talking. You're not a burden or a hassle. Secondly, as our thesis is being unpacked here, we are to behave in a manner worthy of the gospel that is demonstrated through our selfless service, unity, and Christ-like mind. So some more themes that you're going to see throughout Philippians. Philippians is a book about learning. It's about living and growing in Christ. It's a reminder that there's no spiritual shortcuts. There's not a, a zap. I can't hook you up to some kind of machine to zap you into sanctification. No, God does this degree by degree, bit by bit. But here's the key to understanding Philippians. Grace-fueled effort. Grace fuels your efforts, your works. We don't want to get this one wrong. Grace is what fuels your efforts. Don't read Philippians as a letter about, I have to do A and B and C and D, and I got to try harder and do more and do more. It's a letter about how God is working in you to produce work that comes from you and through you. So grace-fueled effort. So you're going to see this uh, theme in Philippians about spiritual growth. Philippians instructs us to behave in a manner worthy of the gospel. We see that in chapter 1, verse 27. Why? So that our joy in Jesus is maximized. Again, if we're not growing, if we're not becoming more like Christ, it robs us of joy. So, so God wants our joy to increase, and so that requires spiritual growth. 
Paul encourages the believers here to stand fast and contend for their faith, 127 to 28. He encourages them to run the race without looking back, chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And he encourages them to take seriously their awesome responsibility of working out their salvation, chapter 2, verse 12. So this emphasis on spiritual effort may appear to minimize the doctrine of grace. But in no way does Philippians minimize grace. At the same time, our responsibility does matter. Selfless service. Selfless service. Philippians teaches us that we show the work of Christ in our lives by the way we serve others selflessly. Not selfishly, but selflessly. In chapter 2, you'll be encouraged and challenged by the example of Christ. Even though he's God in the flesh, he did not come as as one to be served, but rather as one who served. This church in Philippi needed to hear that message. They needed to hear about the humility and servanthood of Christ. Like us, they were struggling with issues of status, position, honor, and reputation. And these things were being brought into the life of the church. This led to conflict. How concerned are you with your position? How others view you? How do you respond when your reputation is put in a negative light? Even in the church, we can do things from selfish ambition. I remember uh, back in my earlier Christian days, uh, I cared a lot about getting to church early because it looked better. So the irony was, I sped on the way to church to get there early. (laughs) So I'm breaking the law to get to church early to look better. I mean, just the irony of that, right? But I think the same thing is true today. So many times, even in in the Christian life, we can do things with selfish ambition. And chapter 2 really challenges this tendency to put other people ahead of ourselves. In humility, we're told to count others more significant than ourselves. Did you know that in Jesus' Jesus economy, the first will be last? Who is the greatest in God's kingdom? Well, according to Jesus in Mark 9... It's the one who is last of all and the one who is a servant of all. Unity and fellowship. You'll be introduced in Philippians to the themes of unity and fellowship. So again, Paul writes Philippians to a church that is struggling with unity. In chapter 4, you'll see these two women who were fighting. They're in conflict with one another. There's some echoes of division and disunity, selfish ambition, envy and pride and grumbling really distracts the church from the goal of proclaiming the gospel. It robs us of joy. Are there hard people in your life or in the church that are difficult to love? Is there a conflict that you're involved in? Well, Philippians motivates us to handle these things with grace, love, and urgency. Along with unity, you'll be introduced to the theme of partnership or fellowship. So partnership goes hand in hand with unity because you can't have partnership if you're not united. In in chapter 1, verse 5, as you see next week, Paul is going to express one of many thanks for their partnership in the gospel. Partnership and fellowship are not sitting around watching football games together. No, it's giving together financially, suffering together, praying together, evangelizing together, serving together, and living out the gospel together as fellow citizens of this heavenly kingdom. So do you feel disconnected from other believers in the church? Do you feel lost in it? Unsure of your place? 
Well, Philippians is a letter that's going to push you to connect and partner with other believers. Christ-like thinking. The church in Philippi was struggling with a faulty mindset. We could call this stinking thinking. I believe we can all relate to that as well. Throughout this letter, you should expect to hear things that are going to be hard to say, but what God wants you to know. Even though things are difficult, even though things look down, even though it seems hard, know that God is in control. Know that the gospel is advancing in this dark world. No matter what your circumstances are, know that God can intervene and help you. Having the right mind is essential when it comes to our joy and unity. When there's division, when there's disunity, when you don't feel like loving other people, when you feel like putting yourself ahead of them and assuming wrong things about them, right thinking will then lead you to right feelings and right actions. So the key to all this is putting on the mind of Christ. We see that in chapter 2, verse 5. Does your mindset need to change? Are you suffering from stinking thinking? Well, if you're struggling with disunity and conflict, then we need to think of others as more significant and important than ourselves. Maybe you're struggling today with worry or fear. Then dwelling on what is right and pure and true and lovely will be helpful for you. Are you struggling with losing perspective on what is temporary versus what is eternal? Do you face tensions in your job or in the workplace or in society about being in the world but not of the world? Again, are you concerned about being useless in God's kingdom that he's moved on to other people? Well, if so, then the mindset of Christ will help and, and dwelling on his riches will help you think rightly about these things. Third, it's manifested in the proclamation of the glorious news of a joy-filled God. So why does God call us? Why does God empower us to live as citizens, as joy-filled citizens of this heavenly kingdom? Why? It's so that we can proclaim the glorious news of a joy-filled God to this world. So without question, the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel are some main themes throughout Philippians. So gospel proclamation. Even though Paul is chained, even though he's in prison, he continues to share about the proclamation of the gospel. He's encouraged in his imprisonment, not that he's expecting a quick release, but because his imprisonment motivates other people in this gospel proclamation. Paul knows that the church in Philippi faces threats to the true gospel. He knows there are opponents who are challenging the true gospel. They are claiming to teach Christ, but trying to infuse Jesus plus something else. He knows they're distorting the gospel. You may be surprised when you get into chapter 3. Paul uses some pretty tough language about these opponents. He calls them dogs. He calls them evildoers. He even calls them enemies of the cross. Who are these enemies? They have a mind that is set on the flesh instead of the spirit. And when you have a mind set on the flesh, it will lead you to a variety of sinful activities which does not promote the glorious news of the gospel. So church, even, our, even in our midst, we have enemies of the gospel. There are some here who do not want what Jesus wants. There are some here who love themselves and their sin more than they love Jesus. There are some people in our midst who are not shining as the stars of heaven. There are some people who refuse to repent and have compromised themselves with this world. Watch out for them. Mark them. Turn away from them. Why? 
because they are divine joy thieves. Sin steals joy because it robs us of satisfaction in Christ. Are you an enemy of the cross? If you refuse to turn away from your sin, if you have your mind set on the flesh, then you are. A joy-filled God. Church, we are called to proclaim the glorious news of a joy-filled God who loves people and rescues them from their sin. We are called to proclaim the message that God loves and loves people. He brings this rescue to us in the midst of our sin. God is a joy-filled God, and He is a holy God. So this letter to the Philippians will challenge you. It will challenge you to deny yourself, to live for God. It will, it will remind you that joy is found in putting the preferences of others above your own. It will challenge your thinking. It will remind you that you're called to live in joy. It will challenge your relationships. It will remind you that it's not okay to live in disharmony and division with other people. And this letter will challenge your involvement. It will show you there's more to the Christian life than just showing up on Sunday and going home afterwards. And finally, this letter will challenge your spiritual growth. It will remind you that it's God's grace that fuels your efforts. So Paul says in, in verse 2, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He extends this grace and peace from the Father in Christ Jesus. Because God is a joyful God who delights in saving sinners, he extends grace and peace. Philippians is an encouragement for all of us to lay hold on this grace and peace that God gives. Let's pray for that now. Our dear Heavenly Father, we know that as we read Philippians, we will be both encouraged and challenged. We will be both comforted and warned. Encouraged by the fact that there is joy available, that you are a joy-filled God who delights and cares about our joy. Lord, you, you can grow our joy. Lord, you demonstrate to us our role in the increase of our joy. We also know, Lord, that we are challenged by this letter. Maybe today there are people in our midst who are struggling in, the, in their thinking. They're focused on their situation. They're looking at it from an earthly perspective. All the odds seem to be against them. Lord, let them lay hold of your promises. Remind them that you're the God who intervenes. Perhaps there are some today in our midst, Lord, who are desperately in need of the message of joy. They're almost hopeless in life. They feel as if they have nothing to live for. Lord, I pray you will challenge them. I pray that you will bring joy. Infuse that joy within them. Remind them that you are a joy-filled God, and they can delight in you no matter their circumstances. And perhaps today, Lord, there are some in here who are at odds with one another. Maybe there's conflict. Maybe we are putting our own preferences and desires ahead of others. Lord, I pray that Philippians helps us in this. Thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. Thank you for his work. May you be glorified in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as Josh reminded us, joy is finding satisfaction and delight in who God is and what he has done. And because of that, it's unshaken, our joy, by our circumstances. Because it's founded not in circumstances, but in a person, in God. And he is unchangeable, immovable. And that's why we are like the person in Matthew 13. 
who, upon finding a treasure hidden in a field, in joy, goes home and sells everything he has so that he can have that treasure. Christ is that treasure for us. Christ is that treasure that gives us joy unshakable. Would you please stand with us as we sing and celebrate that joy we have? Christ is mine forever. 
about this benediction we have now from chapter 1. If you're able to say this together, it's going to be verses 9 through 11 there. So chapter 1, 9 to 11. So let's start. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. So grace and peace be with you this week. Special thanks to the scouts who helped us today and everyone who participated in the bake, the bake uh, thing. So you are dismissed. <laughs>